Kuma Gyana Tumirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Ajunulambito Bhujo Kanakabhatatu Sankitanai Kapitaro Kamalaya Taksho Vishwamburo Dvijaburo Yugadharma Palo Vande Jagat Priyakaro Karunabhataro Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitra Sangdotamano Vande Ham Shri Ramakrishna Abhayo Charanasako Sukado Paramanando Sundaro Subhadakriyo He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Inabandu Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostude Tapta Kanchana Gurangi Radhe Brindavanishwari Vishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Can you show me which one? It's not that many. Just the numbers for me. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This um, it's not vertical. Okay, so welcome. Um, what we will be discussing this month is the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 10, 8 through 11, verses 8 through 11. And these verses, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has um, called the or the nutshell verses of the Bhagavad Gita. Just like there are four nutshell verses of the Bhagavatam, then he has also dubbed these verses, eight through 11, as the nutshell verses for the Bhagavad Gita. So we can think first, what is even, what is a nutshell? It's very, when things are very condensed, so where this originally came from was someone was, you know, the Homer's Iliad, it's super long um, treatise story. So somebody mentioned that there was a person who could write so tiny, so small, that if he wrote the Iliad in his very tiny script, that it could fit inside of a nutshell. So this is where that saying came from. So it's like you take a lot of stuff and you put it in a nutshell. So I was thinking also what a nutshell is. Like think of a walnut, right? A walnut is a shell. But inside that shell, there's a whole walnut tree. So inside these nutshell verses is the whole Bhagavad Gita. So by looking at these nutritionally dense verses, we'll be able to understand what is contained within the Gita. And it's, it's even more digestible when it's in who can eat a walnut tree. You can't, but you can eat a walnut and get the nutrition from it. So these nutshell verses um, are found, like I had said, in the, the 10th chapter. So 
that's the the tenth chapter is in the middle six chapters of the Bhagavad Gita. There's eighteen chapters, and this is where the theology of the Gita is found. It's where Krishna introduces himself. In the first six chapters, there's a discussion on the nature of being. Now, this is different from many other scriptural texts where the discussion is on believing. They just, they, things are mentioned so that we will believe them. But in the first six chapters, Krishna is not really asking us to believe. He's speaking about the consciousness of being and things that we intuitively know are true. So, you know, when you're, if you happen to be walking past a group of people and you hear your name and it's like, perk up a little bit and you might want to listen to what they're saying because they're talking about you. So in this way, you feel that there's some, of course you want to find out what they're saying, but um, it gives you an, an, an end to the people. So, and by Krishna speaking about the nature of consciousness, something that we have experience of, and the way he describes it is so empowering. You know, he says that it's, the jiva is amazing and immutable and it's undying. These are things that we kind of know about the self, but we might not have ever put it into words. Or we might not have heard somebody say such a thing before. So by differentiating us from the objective world, um, it really gives us um, great potential. And we think that, yes, what he's talking about, this, this is me. And like Gurmar says, this is the, the more, this is the more of myself that I intuitively knew existed. You know, I'm, I did, I live in this society, but, and I go to work and I do this and I do that. There is definitely more to me than, than just those things. So when we hear this truth, the, the truth rings true to us because it, it goes something that we have already experienced. So that builds faith in the things that he is going to be saying later on, where you might have to engage more, go more with our belief as opposed to um, things that we already already know. So by describing, discussing the nature of being, um, Krishna is describing the taught in tattvamasi, the, the you part, the who we are. So then he's actually preparing us for these middle chapters where he introduces himself. And that is the twum of tattvamasi, the not just the who we are, but whose we are. So in the beginning of the middle six chapters, in um, chapters seven through nine, Krishna describes different kinds of devotees, from mixed devotees up to the unalloyed devotees. Now. <laughs> We can just think of that word unalloyed. It's like a metal. There's no alloy in it. There's no extraneous ingredients. It's pure. So he discusses the karma mishra bhakti, which is devotion mixed with worldly desires. And he goes on to discuss the gyan mishra bhakti, which is devotion mixed with desires for liberation. And Yoga Mishra, which is devotion mixed with desires for mystic perfection. And then finally, to the unalloyed pure devotee, who is free from ulterior motives, and their service is uninterrupted. So this is where he ends the ninth chapter, by speaking of his unalloyed devotees for him. And there's a verse, Manmana Bhava Mad Bhakto. Mad Yaji Mam Namaskaru. 
Mam Eshvayasi Yuktaiva, Atmanam Mat Parayana. This verse is fix your mind on me, be my devotee, sacrifice for me, offer obeisances unto me. Surely you will come to me. And why will you come to me? Because Yuktvaivam Atmanam Mat Parayana, because you are absorbed in me alone. Now, this is an interesting shloka because in the 18th chapter, Krishna echoes almost verbatim this same shloka. The first three lines are exactly the same. Fix your mind on me, become my devotee, sacrifice for me, offer obeisances unto me, surely you will come to me. But the why is different. Now in the 18th chapter, he talks about, um, it's the priosime, which is you are very dear to me. So ninth chapter, he's saying you will attain me because I am dear to you. And the 18th, you will attain him because you are dear to him. So that's an interesting an interesting thing. There's also, um, these shlokas give a clue to the process of developing love for him. Both of them contain the words mana, meaning to think, to think of him. And then also bhava, which we have come to know is feeling or spiritual emotion. But in the verses, both times the word bhava is translated as become. It's not translated as feeling. So the, the key is hidden in there. Srila Prabhupada would say very often, thinking, feeling, and willing. That is how we will become Krishna's devotee. Thinking, this is the process. Where our thoughts are, that's where we will go. So through systematic hearing, that will give us plenty of food for thought. It's not that we're not supposed to think. You know, Phil Prabhupada also said that, and a lot of devotees, older devotees, it, I remember I was taught, if you begin a sentence with, I think, you should finish it in the closet because nobody wants to know what you think and you shouldn't think. You should just hear and don't question anything. So, but this luckily is not what Gurmaj teaches. Um, we are supposed to think, we are meant to think, but not just wild, unbridled thinking. We are meant to think within the purview of the Bhagavad. So the only way that we can do that is if we hear, because it's only by hearing that we will know what to think about. Ramaraj doesn't teach us what to think. He teaches us how to think and what to think about. And these are wonderful gifts that he has given us. So we are meant to think about the qualities of the Lord. When we hear about the qualities, they naturally give rise to loving sentiments for the Lord. They are, for us, they are like Udipanas. It's a stimulus for loving. We hear about him. He's like this, the qualities, the form. They are all empowered types of expl explanations that transcend the limits of explanation. Words, you know, Gurmaraj brings out, it's very difficult to talk about things that words can't really describe because they are beyond the purview of, of words. But these explanations that we are given in the Bhagavad, they themselves are empowered. So we, there's a lot to benefit there. And they are also beyond cultural limitations. They shouldn't be dismissed as being a culturally bound description of the Godhead, because Godhead transcends these cultural limits. And 
the detailed descriptions that we are given are of a transpersonal Godhead, not someone who is confined to a certain place. But it does not mean that these descriptions should be dismissed as being ordinary. They speak of a very deep penetration into the personality of Godhead. And, you know, so many atheists and guests and other people who don't have the benefit of hearing from the Bhagavad, you know, they have to just wonder what God is. Is he sitting on a cloud somewhere? That's what I used to think. He's sitting on a cloud with a pad of paper and he's, you know, check mark, kind of more like Santa Claus, keeping score. Uh, you're going to get coal in your stocking this year. You're going to get a new bicycle. But we are so fortunate to know that this is not the, the culmination of Godhead. So the descriptions of Krishna, they do have the power to stimulate love. And hearing about his devotees and Krishna's love for his devotees is, is stimulated. So this is where Krishna is in the Bhagavad Gita. He was just thinking about the love of his devotees when he said that the ninth chapter, the end of the ninth chapter to Arjuna. So this coupled with the fact of him being in Kurukshetra where he met the gopis and his mind just goes to Braj. And Braj Krishna and Swayam Bhagavan is drawn drawn out of him. Braj says that he is practically in a swoon when, when he starts thinking about his devotees and he gets very excited. He's so excited that Arjuna can't get a word in until the 11th chapter. All the way up, it's Arjuna talking, Krishna talking, Arjuna talking, but now Arjuna can't even say, ask a question. Krishna is just often and running. With the unalloyed devotee on his mind, he starts speaking more intimately about himself. So what he really is talking about is bhakti, but he can't speak of bhakti without speaking about himself because he is the perfect object of bhakti. And this is where Krishna starts to talk about two, a diversity. Um, he talks, starts talking about the relationships between him and his devotees. Now, we can't, he can't have, we can't have bhakti without Bhagavan, and he, we can't have Bhagavan without bhakti. It's just like the, they go hand in hand. It's the teacher-student thing. Who created the teacher? Was it a diploma that creates a teacher? Is it a rubber stamp that creates a teacher? Or is it the student that creates a teacher? And it's kind of, this is the answer that the Gaudias give also when people say, you know, when it's explained that Krishna creates everything, well, who created Krishna? Well, kind of like the sly answer is Radha created Krishna, but it's not, it, it's in this very fine, intelligent way. It's not just like a, a funny thing to say or a, a way to get people to think you answered a question without answering a question. It actually is, is the truth, just like who created the teacher, the student. So if there was no Radha, there would be no Krishna. So she actually is who creates Krishna. Without her, there would be no Krishna. Krishna is Krishna because of Radha. And Radha is Radha because of Krishna. Without him, she would not exist. So this is, it's a creation um, kind of, of ex not in time, but in relationship to each other. They can't exist outside of a relationship. So this um, 10th chapter, which we are now in, where Krishna is finally 
talking about himself and the intimate, getting more intimate with Arjun. It's called Vibhuti Yoga. And Vibhuti means manifestations which speak of Krishna's divinity and especially his power, you know, of immovable objects, I am the Himalayas, of bodies, of water, I am the ocean, of lights, I am the sun. And out of 42 verses in the 10th chapter, 36 of them are about his majesty. And it kind of seems weird because we're, we're saying that Krishna is now in his, he's moving into his intimate self, into Swayam Bhagavan, and in relationship with his devotees. So why is he bringing up all of this majesty? So we, we know that that's not where his heart is. His heart isn't in his majestic majestic manifestations. He is all about his sweetness. So why would he speak about his majesty? And it is because without majesty, without Aishvarya, there is no sweetness, Madhurya. This is demonstrated in the Brahmavimohan Leela. I, I, it's very clear in the Brahma Vimohan Leela that this is what's going on. Um, like if we think about even just an ordinary, a famous person, we want to know what ordinary things those famous people do. Like what is a movie star? What do they like to eat? You know, I saw this thing, there was a big thing made about, um, this one movie star, she likes avocados. So there is a big run on avocados. It's, we want to know these, um, these ordinary things, but it's, it's not newsworthy if an ordinary person eats avocados. It's only newsworthy when a famous person eats avocados. So, um, you know, when I, first saw Gurmaraj drive a car. I was like, it was so charming. It, there's millions of people drive cars. It's, there's nothing charming about driving a car. It's nothing extraordinary. But Guru Maharaj driving a car was so charming because he is such an extraordinary person. When extraordinary people do ordinary things, then he are charmed, charmed by them. So this is what Krishna is doing. It's when Brahma saw Krishna eating lunch with his friends and taking the food out of his mouth, you know, swapping food. It's like such ordinary, you know, activity. But once he saw the Aishvarya of Krishna, when he showed him that all of the Vishnus come from him, then not only did he think that what Krishna was doing with his cowherd friends was sweet, but he wanted to, to taste that sweetness himself. He, it's so charming, but it wasn't charming before he knew how wonderful Krishna really was and how powerful he was and how that power wasn't attractive to Krishna at all. So that is the, the beauty of it. The purpose um, of talking about his Aishvarya, the only purpose is to bring us in the direction of love and intimacy. Because knowledge of his opulence fosters that type of love. So now we will discuss the first shloka of the four nutshell verses. I am the source of everything. All proceeds from me. Realizing this, the wise imbued with love adore me. 
So in this shloka, Krishna is speaking very boldly about himself. I am the source of everything. Everything comes from me. So what does he mean by everything? Well, he comprehensively means everything in both the subjective and the objective realms and all the planes of existence. There is a famous verse, the Vedanti Tattva Vidas, Tattvam Jnanam Advayam, Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavan Iti Shabdate. Learned transcendentalists who know the absolute truth call this non dual substance Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. Now, these three, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, Jiva Goswami describes the, he describes them in many different ways, but the one that really struck me when we were discussing the Sanarbas with Dual Chandra was, it's like if you have a cloth and you move the cloth in different ways, different colors will, will show. Like if you have a two-tone or a three-toned cloth, and you move it the way the light hits it, you will see particular colors. And in our modern day, I don't know if you've ever seen, but I've, I've seen these, it's like a, a picture. I don't ask me how they make it. But if you turn it one way, there's one scene. And if you tilt it this way, there's a whole different scene, but it's on that same piece of paper. So in this way, Krishna, it's, it's, all, it's all the same, just depends on how, how on your perspective, where, how you hold that, that page. So this is what makes it non-dual because it's on one page, non-dual being, non-dual knowing, and non-dual loving. So Krishna says that he is that Swayam Bhagavan. He is that one page, the whole package. And people see different faces of him depending upon their perspective. So Krishna is the source of Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. And then he is also the source of all the expansions. He is Narayan himself. And um, Rupa, Srila Rupa Goswami describes the 64 qualities of Krishna. And of those 64, Narayan has 60 of them. And five of them, he, Narayan, alone shares with Krishna. Nobody else has these five. They are that he is in, he has inconceivable qualities. He's able to sustain innumerable universes. He is the seed of all incarnations. He grants the highest perfection to those enemies he kills. And he is the most attractive of self-realized persons. So these are the five things that only Narayan and Krishna have in Nobody else has these. So from the Leelas, however, we can see that Krishna possesses these qualities in excess of Narayan. He has them, yes, but he has them in a plus kind of way. Narayan gives mukti, but Krishna gives bhakti. Bhakti is also a kind of mukti, but it has much more to offer than the mukti that Narayan gives. And Narayan is kind to his, is kind to his devotees, but Krishna is kind to his enemies. And we can see this in the Leela with Putana. And Narayan is all pervasive, but as shown in the Brahmavi Mohan Leela, Krishna. Krishna's pervasiveness far exceeds Narayan's pervasiveness. 
and the um, self-realized souls are attracted to Narayan, like the four Kumars are attracted to Narayan. Narayan is attracted to Krishna. Therefore, it's we can see that Krishna holds a special quality of these qualities. And this is why he is distinguished as Swayam, the source of all of these things. So in this verse, when Krishna says, let all proceed from me, he is talking about his shaktis, his energies. And it is, it's our energies that allow us to do things. It's through our energies that we do things. And it is through our energies that people can know us more. If you see a picture of someone, a photograph, you might know something about them. But then when you've heard about some of the things that they've done or the things that they're into, then you can know them more, more comprehensively. So Krishna is speaking, speaks about his, his shaktis. And um, people will know about, you know, we can understand this by how people know about us also. Gurmaraj says that matter only matters because we have invested our energies into them. Because we have invested energies, then it matters. Um, somebody might ask you, did you watch the football game the other night? And you'd be like, no, I didn't watch a football game because I'm not into it. So why do we say we just use words that actually speak of a larger thing? Why would we say we're not into it, right? We're not interested in it. But if we were into it, we would be investing our energies into it. So this is how, why matter matters to us and why, how everything matters to Krishna. It is all his energies. And there's a lot of different, you know, kind of energies and the type of energy that rules us is love. And we can see this because just think of like a a businessman, he's in a meeting, you know, with executives, and he gets a phone call. Oh, your your son, you know, fell off his bicycle, and um, you need to go to the hospital. So immediately he'll pack up his briefcase and leave that scene, being pulled by the love of of his child. This is what what actually is the underlying all of our activities. And this is because Krishna, everything comes from Krishna. And this is what Krishna is about. Um, there's a saying, as above, so below. This means what is created, who, where things come from, that will be found in the creation also. Because there is love in Krishna, there is love in the world. And there's everything that is found here is, also, is found there. Everything comes from him, whether it be anger, naughtiness, you know, a naughty child. It's nice having, you know, raising a devotee child because when they're naughty, you could, instead of getting angry, you could just think, well, I know why you're actually naughty because Krishna is naughty and your naughtiness is coming from him. So in this shloka, Krishna is speaking about himself here and our relationship with him. And in the third line, and the, the fourth line, we actually, the, the genericness of the jiva that's talked about in the first six chapters, where he's describing the jiva in, in certain ways that everyone, it, it describes every jiva, 
there's nothing really um, that differentiates one jiva from another. But here he starts to differentiate. He speaks about himself in relationship to the jiva. And there, Buddha Bhava Samanvita. Buddha means wise, and Bhava means love. So this is, as Gurmarsh has coined it, wise love. There are, in the Bhava, there are now differences of feeling. There's Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurya. And this is the ingress of Bhakti, of Krishna's Sarup Shakti. And it gives much more potential to us than was available to the jiva unto itself. It's like there's not much, I mean, the jiva is awesome and everything, but in relationship with Krishna, there's a whole other world to explore. And the way, the kind of knowing that we have, the, the kind of knowing will shape our loving. If we know, if our knowing ends in majesty, then our love will be in awe and reverence. And if our knowing progresses into the sweet personality of Bhagavan, then our love will be in sweetness. In the same way, Krishna's knowing shapes his love. So what does Krishna know? He knows the love of Yashoda and he takes the form of her son. He knows the love of Subal and he takes the form of his friend. He knows the love of Radha and he takes the form of her beloved. And beyond that, the only thing he knows is that there are serious sadhikas who want to know him in this intimate way. Other than this, he doesn't know anything. Although perplexing to the mind, he remains omniscient. So there are other manifestations of Krishna for other kinds of knowing. He doesn't need to know anything beyond these loving relationships with his devotees. Narayan, who accepts reverential love and feel com feels compassion, he creates the world. So he has a different realm of knowing. And Garbhadakshai Vishnu, he also has a different realm of knowing. And Shiradakshai Vishnu has a different realm of knowing. So it's not that Krishna doesn't know, but he unknows, which is something very extraordinary. It, his unknowing is the most comprehensive form of knowing. And that is aham sarvasya prabhavo. Everything, he is the source of everything, including the knowledge that Narayan has, the knowledge that Garbhadakshaya Vishnu has, the knowledge that Shiradakshaya Vishnu has, and the knowledge that we have, everyone has. Krishna is the source of the knowledge. He can, and by kind of dispensing his knowledge to other manifestations of himself, that affords him the freedom to unknow those things he doesn't need to know to express himself. It's kind of like, you know, if a business owner goes on vacation, well, first of all, even think of what vacation means, means to, to vacate, right? You leave behind all your thoughts, your job, all your, the things that you have to know. You don't even want to know those things exist. You just want to be, you know, yourself and your, your partner might say, oh, it's so nice we're on vacation, honey, because you're, you're really here with me instead of 
you know, if you're just home, but you're still, your mind is in the office and you're still thinking about these things, it's, they're not really with those people where they are. So generally people have to go on vacation so they can actually be where they are. So the person there, but that, if you're a business owner, you don't just shut down your business. You put somebody in charge and that person, you put a trusted person in charge who's qualified and capable. And you know that that person will take care of everything. So you don't have to think of it at all, ever. So this is what Krishna's manifestations do for him. They take care of all the knowledge dealing with anything other than his own heart. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have access to this knowledge because he is the, the source of it. There are things we know and there are things we don't know. And there are things that we don't know that we don't know, right? There are things we know. We know how to turn on a computer. We know how to do, there's a lot of things that we do know. And there's things that we know that we don't know, like fly an airplane. I know that I don't know how to fly an airplane. But there are things that we don't even know that we don't know. And these things um, need to come to us from outside of ourselves. They, they exist beyond, so that's where the knowledge has to come from. And just like in this, this verse, Krishna says, Matva, consider this. But if we've never heard this before, how can we even, how could we even consider it? The only reason we could, the only way we could reconsider something is if we have heard it before. And this shows how much we um, are dependent upon a guru, because it is only through the guru that we can learn things that we didn't even know we didn't even know. We're not, it's not something that we can think of in our own minds. We can't um, wrestle against things because it exists outside of us. So the guru, he comes to give us this type of knowledge that is transcendent to our own experience and our own ability to think our way through things. There is no effort on our part that we can do that will make Krishna known to us. There's, we couldn't conceive of him. We couldn't conceive of his wonder unless it was told to us, unless it was revealed to us by grace. And this grace comes in one of two forms, the book Bhagavat and the person Bhagavat. And of these two, the person Bhagavat is the most important. We can clearly see that in today's Vaishnava world. There are many books, there are many, many books describing the Bhagavat, but how, um, those books are understood, leaves a lot to be desired, unless we have that person who knows those things that we don't even know we don't even know, then we will think we know. And we can be misguided, and we can misguide our, our own selves because we don't, we think we already know. And if you go on Facebook and so many of these discussion, Vaishnav discussion groups, it's sad. It's so sad. I just, I wanna like 
you have to listen to Swami Tripurari's classes. They're so, you will be set straight. You know, they're struggling so much with speculations and they can quote shlokas and they can copy and paste and it all looks good on paper, but there's something missing between the letters. And that is why the person Bhagavan is so vitally important. And he or she stands before us as our highest potential. And it is very exciting, exciting for us because this is what he comes, what the guru comes to give is more than we could have ever imagined. It existed outside of us. So that is all I have for today. Um, I thank you all for joining me. And this will be posted on the Facebook Tatvavivek page. Uh, not a page, it's a group, sorry. It's hard to keep it all straight. Um, so this will be posted there. And if you have any questions or comments and um, corrections, I would appreciate if you, if you post them there. All right. So I'll be signing off once I figure out how to do that. Thank you.